Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show. Today we have another very special guest, Rob Freund, in on the show. Rob, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much again. I want to start this off uh, because I discovered you on Instagram. Uh, I'm always looking for cool new pages to follow and everything in between, but I don't think I've ever come across a page quite like yours. Um, and once, once we each give a little bit of context on why I say that, it'll make more sense to anybody listening. Um, but you, uh, you talk a lot about business law, and particularly what I'm most interested in is the social media business law side of it. Um, I don't think I've First off, I'm surprised that you don't have 5 million followers because every single influencer and creator could benefit from following and at least being more knowledgeable on the subjects you're talking about. But I've also don't think I've seen a higher percentage of verified accounts following a single account with 5,000 followers. So that, that also caught my attention and I think other people feel the same way as I do. So my first question is, how did this begin and why would somebody who's as knowledgeable as yourself start putting this out there? Yeah, I'll, I'll start sort of where you started and then try to give bigger context to it. The Me posting on Instagram and trying to grow an Instagram page started really probably October 2019. I was at an event that was thrown by somebody I met in sort of the social media community and a guy I met there, I was explaining to him that I help entrepreneurs and influencers and agencies with social media issues. And he said, well, how's your Instagram growth going? And I was like, honestly, I don't even, it's something that I know I should be doing. And obviously it's a, like a natural match that I should be trying to market a bit on Instagram if I'm focusing on the laws about it. But I didn't really, you know, it's one of those things where I was sort of honestly just making excuses and, oh, I'll get to it. It's like there's so many things on the to-do list when you run a business, like, and it's easy to push stuff off. The guy I was talking to was like, take a look at what the CPA I'm following does. And there's this guy, Tyler McBroom. He has great advice on tax issues on Instagram. And this guy has 100,000 followers. And I could tell that like he has a real following. It's not, he's not some accountant that just bought a hundred thousand followers and, and, you know, is looking impressive. But what he did was like every day, pretty much, he posts some kind of tax tip in like a meme format and it's either a video or just a static post or something. And uh, the guy I was talking to was like, you should give that a try. So I thought that seems like not a huge time commitment. When I think of things that are interesting or that clients ask me that maybe other people have the same question, I'll, I'll try that. I'll start putting videos together. And if you look at my page, like the first few, just like anybody are like pretty clunky and, and not really polished and like weird backgrounds and stuff, but you know, it, you, you get better at it and you do it more and it kind of caught on. And I, I was fortunate that a few people who I knew personally have already like, you know, the blue, they're verified and they have huge followers and everything and shared some of my stuff. And that's how it got to 5k. And yeah, I mean, I would love that number to be bigger, of course, like everybody wants to have more reach and so on. But on the other side of it, it's like, I have a page about legal issues. Like, it's, right. it's amazing to me that 5000 people even want to tune into that. So I think for like a year of posting and considering 
who I am, like one of the most traditionally boring <laughs> like jobs you can have. The fact that so many people who are legit are following it is kind of amazing to me, even though 5K is, is nothing in the world of Instagram. Right. Well, but I think to your point, though, um, you know, it, those people who are following, they do care about it. And the reason they care about it is people care about things that are applicable to themselves. Um, and all of, I mean, the majority of what I'm seeing on your page could be applicable to anybody else. I'm looking at a post right now um, you made. It, the, the question for it is, can you sue Facebook for deleting your account? Everybody has a Facebook account. <laughs> That's right. Great everybody and I feel like at this point in time if you've been on social media for like five to ten years everybody's had some negative experience with a social platform suspending them or deleting an account or whatever everybody's had something like that so I think that's uh that's that's what that does but how uh, I'm curious what do you think the most I mean I I imagine, and I'll preface it with what I think is the answer and correct me if I'm wrong. My question is, what is the most common illegal thing that people do on social media? And what I would imagine is not disclosing whether things are ads or not, but is there something else that's super illegal that everybody does? Yeah, so I think one important thing to keep in mind is the word illegal is kind of a loaded word. And some people, <laughs> I, think, I think some people need to like, be reminded or refreshed that there's crimes and then there's things that violate civil statutes like no one's going to jail for a civil violation like if you if you violate the ftc act by not making a disclosure no one's going to prison for that so <laughs> it's illegal to the extent that it violates this federal law that we have but it's illegal sometimes people think criminal and they're two different worlds sometimes they overlap you know sometimes you can have criminal fraud, you can have civil fraud, stuff like that. But yeah, in, in the context of social media marketing, especially, it's disclosures, disclosing what the FTC calls a material connection between an advertiser and someone who is endorsing a brand. And there's been a rule about making that disclosure before social media came on the scene. It's their focus really started to ramp up, there being the FTC, uh, in like native advertising and blogging when that became popular where bloggers would write reviews for either a hotel or, or whatever else their niche is and not disclose like, oh, well, I got comped a year's worth of hotel stays. And the concept is like people need to know when they're being advertised to. That's the FTC's mission is protecting everybody who uses the internet from not being aware that they're being advertised to. And so it's not just influencer marketing where if you send an influencer a bunch of free product in exchange for a post, yes, they will need to somehow, there's different ways you can do it that, you know, some look more authentic than others of disclosing the fact that they're making this post because they got some incentive. Right. Also like customer reviews are an area where brands screw this up and there's been a lot of FTC activity there also. You can't pay people for positive reviews if you don't disclose that that's what happened or websites that rank, you know, the best, this is just an example. I mean, I don't, I don't have something in mind, but just for example, like the best mattresses or something, you can go to a website that ranks like the top 10 mattresses. If, as is often the case, some of those brands are paying to be ranked a little bit higher, that website needs to disclose that that's what's going on. So yeah, disclosures generally in social media marketing and advertising online, 
is a big area that a lot of people screw up. And I think there's, there's a bunch of reasons for why that is. And there's who's responsible for making the disclosure is its own interesting area or interesting issue because the FTC says everyone is jointly responsible, regardless of like what contract you have between a brand and an influencer, for example, like if I am, if I've engaged an influencer to make a bunch of posts, it's not just on me, the brand owner, to make sure that they make that disclosure. It's the, there's liability on the individual, the influencer also. And if there's an agency that created the ad copy, they're on the hook also. And the FTC has made the point that even a web designer is potentially liable. If they create a web page for a brand that needs disclosures and they're not there, then it's technically the, the web designer has liability for that also. So it's everyone's job. And I think part of the reason why there's not so, or non-compliance is so widespread is just one, people not knowing, like how many influencers, it's common for them to say, to receive something like, okay, here's the post, here's the copy, here's when you put it up. And if they don't know, okay, I really need to pay attention to where a hashtag ad is, or I need to make sure that in my, each one of my stories, I'm making the disclosure. Like you can understand how that's not going to be top of mind for every influencer out there. So I think part of it is just a, a knowledge and awareness and education issue. And then part of it is, is brands making a risk assessment sometimes of, you know, I know I'm going to convert a lot more if I don't do everything to the letter of the law. And if I do put all these disclosures, I'm not going to make as much and maybe I'll calculate what's the real risk of being sued and so on. And then other people are just saying, you know, I, I don't, none of my competitors are doing it. So why should I? So that's a long way of saying there's a lot that goes into like why disclosures are such a big issue and why it's such a, such a widespread issue. Totally. And that, that's all super obviously important and everybody's got to be on top of that. My question is, if you're promoting your own brand, do you have to disclose that it's an ad? Usually no. So for example, if I have my brand, whatever it's called, and on my own page, it's clear that I'm the brand owner. Like if I have Rob Freund shoes or something. Right my page i'm promoting my own stuff like if you go to my brand's page the ftc's position is going to be that everyone knows that this is brand advertising you are on the brand's page itself so everything that's posted there people will recognize as being advertising the issue can come up is if you take if we have some kind of deal where you're going to help promote my brand and you share a post that's on my brand's page now you need to make that disclosure because you're endorsing me. But if I'm just promoting my own brand, I don't need to do that if it's clear that, you know, I'm behind this brand. Super interesting. Yeah. One that I'm most curious about are like these random celebrity posts that end up getting people in trouble. Like I'm looking at your page now, Jennifer Hudson sued $175,000 for a post. How the hell does that happen? I think if I remember that one correctly, it was a copyright issue. And that's another, you know, big area and a lot of issues come up in marketing online. The, the thing, the Jennifer Hudson thing is like one of a string of these sort of copycat lawsuits where a lot of people will naturally think that if someone takes a photograph of me, 
I can post that photo of myself. But that's not true because whoever took the photo by default owns the copyright to the image, even if it's of me. And so there are people out there. Out there and advert, but they can't go out there and put you in a commercial using, they can't use correct. your likeness to promote anything. But how do, they, how do those two things coexist? Right. So in the context of the Jennifer Hudson lawsuit, she's got a paparazzi who took a picture of her. And she, if I'm, and I'm sorry if I'm jumbling the facts, I should probably look it up again, but I'm pretty sure that was the context of that. <laughs> but let, like, let's say I can get, I can address both even if that's not what happened. But what I recall what happened was you got a, a paparazzi took a picture of her. She uses that picture of herself on her own Instagram page. There are, there's an effort out there by a handful of plaintiff's attorneys who will represent paparazzi and other photographers to bring copyright infringement claims over exactly this because the photographer owns the copyright to the image when he takes the photograph. So absent some kind of licensing agreement, you cannot copy that photo and use it without the photographer's permission. And if you register the photo with the copyright office within three months of taking it, then you get to sue for statutory damages under the Copyright Act, which means you don't necessarily have to prove how much you're actually harmed. The law gives you this up to $150,000 for willful infringement, you know, per act of copyright infringement. So that's how you see these lawsuits that come out of the gate with six figures in alleged liability for somebody using a photograph of themselves, which seems so backwards. And they get caught. What's that? They win these lawsuits? Most of them settle. Most of them settle. There's, there's, because yet the way the, the cost benefit of defeating this claim in court is going to cost somewhere, you know, at least $10,000 to do it correctly and to do it well and to make it worth the effort of actually doing it at all. And a lot of times these lawsuits will start with some demand for around there. And so you have to think about, do I want to fight this and win this and go through the expense and the headache and, and potentially lose it though? Because the way the copyright law is written, it's like, yeah, this person has registered their copyright to this photo and you used it. And so you're really rolling the dice in a lot of instances as to whether the money you spend trying to defend yourself will be worth it. And the lawyers who bring those cases know that. And so they understand that most people, or at least a significant chunk of them, are gonna say, fine, I'll just pay essentially the troll fee to make them go away rather than actually take this through to the end. Wow. The, yeah. So the related issue with that is you're right that there's also the issue of publicity rights, which is a separate thing from copyright. And it's also a separate thing from privacy rights, which people tend to confuse also. Everybody has the right to control how their name and their image is used commercially. You, no one can take a picture of me and use it in an ad without my permission or else they're violating my right of publicity. Mm -hmm. And states vary in terms of how protective they are of the individual. California, like with most things, is super consumer friendly. And so if somebody uses my image in an ad without my permission, I have a minimum of $750 in 
I don't know if damages is the right way to put it, but that's the minimum amount essentially that I'm owed under the law, even if I can't prove any harm to me, plus mandatory attorney's fees, which is rare. And that gives me more of an incentive to hire a lawyer and go after somebody for even using my picture once, because the longer they fight it, the more they're gonna have to pay whoever I hire. So it, it's a very, very risky thing for a brand to use someone's image without making sure they've done like a, a divorce proceeding or something like that. <laughs> it's, it, getting publicity rights clearances is, is not difficult, but it's so essential because there's so much, it's such an easy case for a plaintiff's lawyer to take on. And so, yeah, that, that, that paparazzi could not take Jennifer Hudson's picture and then use it to promote anything without her permission. And the flip side of that is from the copyright perspective, she can't use that picture of herself in any context without having some kind of license agreement with the photographer. Super interesting. I wanna ask you about this thing I saw. I don't know if you've seen it, you probably have. Um, there was a law proposed in the UK um, around requiring celebrities to uh, post uh, and put in the copy of their text on in captions, whether a photo of them was photoshopped or not. And the example that was widely used was like a Khloe Kardashian photo of her and of photoshopped her. And they look nothing alike and how damaging that right. is and all that, um, which is insane. I could only imagine being like a, you know, middle schooler right now, you know. Oh, no. Yeah, Photoshop people thinking that that's what people look like. Um, do you, what are your thoughts on that? And do you think that that would make this whole social media legal world a million times more complicated if things like that started getting implemented? Yeah, I think first of all, I totally agree. Like I cannot imagine being in middle school right now with the way social media is. I'm so glad that, you know, TikTok was not around when I, when I was in middle school because like, any insecurity that every middle schooler has is going to be explosive nowadays. I just cannot imagine. But um, in response to that uh, proposed law or whatever they were doing there, I have to admit that usually when I'm reading about stuff in, outside the U.S., I'll, I'll just skim it. I try to stay pretty on top of everything in the U.S., but just because I'm, I'm not licensed abroad anywhere, I, I, I admit I just sort of skim over stuff that's outside the U.S. My first thought about that though is it's hard to imagine writing that piece of legislation in a way that you could consistently apply it and it seems like it would just be a nightmare for the courts to figure out because you know where do you draw the line between photoshopping and just enhancing a photo like if I remove a blemish do I now need to disclose that what if I just brighten the photo like where's the difference between this is the like raw image data versus it's been professionally cleaned up versus now I'm misleading people. You could see how it would take a lot of, at least in the US, like a lot of court analysis trying to define what, you know, at what threshold do you cross over into deception where you have to disclose something. And then it becomes so, <laughs> Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's a noble idea for sure to try to improve the authenticity of the experience to try to help people gauge what's real and what isn't. Obviously a super important thing for people to know what's true and what's not, but it's something that 
writing a law about is it, it's just too clumsy, I think. And it's hard to imagine a way to write that in a way that just achieves the goal they're sending out and doesn't have all these side effects of people suing each other. And then, you know, a lot of litigation expense wasted over things that aren't that deceptive, which is what, what, what happens with even the even better written laws anyway. So noble idea, probably really, really difficult to implement. <laughs> In a way that makes sense. I didn't. I didn't think about it in in as analytical of a fashion, but hopefully somebody somebody will figure it out. Um, apart from yeah. following you on Instagram, um, if you were if put yourself in a sixteen year old influencer's shoes, what would your or what would your best advice be to that to that person uh, in terms of getting an understanding? the law because it's important to at least have somewhat of a base knowledge um and i i credit your instagram account with with helping me with that um but what what would your best advice be for somebody like are there resources out there for people to learn so i it seems like you just set it up for me to plug something but i, I well, promise that is what i did <laughs> yeah. i have a course called influencers iq the the idea behind it is to allow influencers to understand the the framework and the legal landscape of what they're getting involved in but it's not just for influencers it's for anybody who's curious about this stuff and the the concept behind it was when you finish the course there's an exam at the end and if you pass the exam with a certain percentage then you can get a certificate and and show brands that you're part of this registry and the idea behind having that registry was this is a way for influencers to distinguish themselves because so many people, I mean, the, the barrier to entry to holding yourself out as an influencer is like zero. Anyone can just say, Oh yeah, I want to, I have a following and I want to do a brand deal. Right. This is the way to show like, look, I know what I'm doing. I've, I've taken the step to actually understand the business and I'll be a better business partner to you. The other benefit from the brand side is that, what we've seen from FTC lawsuits about influencer marketing is that the times when they don't throw the book at the brand or whether they'll just after an investigation decide not to turn it into a full blown lawsuit, they'll say like, okay, this brand showed us that they have education and compliance programs in place. You are training your influencers about this stuff. And it's not like we caught you by surprise that you weren't even thinking about it. So the concept is if a brand can show that, look, we, we're working with influencers who had to pass an exam about this stuff, in addition to having you know the guidelines set out in our contract, that's about as good as you can do to show, look, we are training everybody to the best extent that we can to try to comply with what you, the FTC, want. So that course, I think, is valuable to people. It's pretty cheap. It's 50 bucks. Um, and beyond that, the FTC, to their credit, has resources on their website. Awesome. And last year, they tried to make it more influencer friendly, like for the average person to digest it. In my opinion, it's still pretty dense and <laughs> it's, not, it's not the easiest thing. Like nobody is going to want to really sit down and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to spend two hours reading the FTC's guides. Yeah, it's, still, it's, still, it's still dense and kind of difficult. Um, so other than that, I think just anytime somebody has a question about a brand deal or an agency deal or something like that, if they're 16, they should probably be talking with their parents, first of all. Hopefully they have 
hopefully they're able to do that. But in any event, before signing any kind of deal, it's so worth the money to have a lawyer spend a few hours to go over it to make sure that there's nothing crazy in there that you're giving up because it happens so, so often. And I think especially in influencer marketing and these people who are forming influence houses and TikTok houses and stuff like that, I've looked at these deals that have been put in front of talent and they're, they're so like over the top one-sided in favor of the people who are going to be paying them. And they're giving over rights that are just so far above and beyond what's normal and reasonable. And it, it, you can understand how it's tempting to see money put in front of someone who's really young and they think, okay, not only am I going to grow all my accounts and be famous, but they're also paying me. And then a lot of times things don't work out the way you had in your envisioned it. And by that point, you're already locked into a contract that's very hard to get out of. So talking to a professional who has your back up front can save so much headache. That is very sound advice. And my friend, I feel like we could talk about all this stuff all day. Um, we're definitely going to have to do it again. But big shout out. If anybody isn't yet, follow Robert, R-O-B-E-R-T-F-R-E-U-N-D Law on Instagram. My friend, thank you so much again for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is fun. Awesome.